Welcome to the Instructional Redesign Podcast, stories and conversations about the design of modern learning experiences. I'm Kara North, and as always, I'm joined by Joseph Suarez. It's nice to finally have some downtime. When I mean downtime, I just mean not having classes. Over the course of the year, I've been extremely eager to make some time to play in the instructional design sandbox. I've seen so many posts of folks making cool things and sharing them, specifically Mel Milloway, who I'm convinced doesn't sleep. I've been an ex-API cohort dropout, and I'm convinced that the road to expanding my skills is paved with good intentions. We've talked on this podcast before about working out loud, and while I love that there's a week dedicated to it, how are you supposed to motivate yourself the other 51 weeks in the year? Joe, what do you think about building your technical acumen, and what is your method? Tutorial videos are probably my go-to method for doing that. Whenever I have some wiggle room on a project time-wise, I always try to do something new even if that's just taking a new approach to doing a task in a tool like Storyline or an Adobe product. It's no fun to discover your tried-and-true method that you've used for years is now considered a legacy function by Adobe, which means it'll likely disappear soon. Recently, I forced myself to remake my website by hand-coding it. That was a stretch goal I've had for a while. I definitely learned, or at least remembered, a few things along the way. So, Joe, I got to ask, is coding like riding a bicycle? Ironically, I recently bought a bicycle, so I know firsthand what it's like to get back on a bike after a few years, but that's neither here nor there. Coding, yeah, I remember lots of it, and then there's parts of it where I have to look stuff up again to remember or just give myself some hints on, how did, wait, how did that go again? What's the syntax for that or this? I gotcha. And I think I'm so spoiled. I think so many of us are with all the great plugins that various websites have, just like WordPress has so many plugins now. And I've also found some great sites where folks share information like that, including codepen.io and GitHub. And, you know, I've had these thoughts all the time about just getting in there and doing something. And I really think that the jumping point for me was that I had a really tough time the past few months. I had way too many obligations and I wanted to take some time and do something for myself. Specifically, I wanted to learn more about MailChimp, but I needed something to do and use it for. And that's why I created Kara's Instructional Design Six-Week Challenge. In my head, I thought, hey, I'll just tweet about this and add a little graphic in there, build something, share something, and give your peers feedback. Easy, right? I don't know about easy. Um, It's certainly ambitious, though. And I like how you've encouraged others to go off and design something. I think we all have a list of things in our head that we'd like to get around to at some point. But that'll be trapped up in our head unless we commit to trying to make them a reality. So good for you for helping people along towards that. Sometimes all it takes is a friendly nudge. Absolutely. And I really wanted this to be a positive experience for people at all different levels of instructional design, whether you are a student, whether you are newer to the profession, or if you're a seasoned veteran. The big thing for me is I wanted this to be a nice accountability group where you could get encouragement from folks that 
want to see what you do and want to share and want to learn from what you have built. And immediately there were some folks that were interested, but they just needed more direction. Now I'm somebody who lives in gray space, but I understand that others might need a little bit more direction. I ended up making a blog post on my website to explain more about it. Again, I wanted it to be simple. So I just set it up in a Q&A format, answering questions like, what is this? And how can I participate? Joe, have you ever participated in an instructional design challenge? Do full-time jobs qualify as challenges? If not, uh, I don't think I really have. The closest thing I've done is an Articulate e-learning challenge a year or so ago. Those can be fun. And uh, just a really quick side note, if you're going to go and do one of those e-learning challenges, it's great to help build your portfolio. My strong recommendation would be to create an introduction slide or something that provides context for what the challenge was and how your entry attempted to solve that. Many times I see people create something that makes perfect sense when it's posted on Articulate's site during the week of the challenge, but would be confusing standing on its own later in a portfolio. So just a bonus tip of the day to add that extra context for a potential employer that's looking at your portfolio. You're just full of nuggets of knowledge. And I remember the first time that I met Mary Crop, and she'll be out at Learning Dev Camp, Joe. So I'll introduce you to her out there. But she's a hiring manager for Bluetooth SIG. And this is one of her biggest pet peeves about the profession. When people say, I don't have a portfolio because I don't have anything that I can share in it. And that's something that I immediately took away from her that she put so much emphasis on it. And I respect her as a leader in the industry. So I I really think that it is so important to put yourself out there and build those artifacts. And specifically for me, there was an episode on TLDcast that Andrew Hughes, the president of Designing Digitally, shared information about winning instructional design awards. Now he did a very nice job of explaining this process, especially since so many of his clients have pretty strict non-disclosure agreements. I also think I was inspired by that piece of it because so many folks in learning development say, I can't share what I do because it's proprietary. On one hand, I certainly empathize and understand that. But by launching this, I wanted to give people the encouragement and opportunity to share and build. Joe, I know that you have a very cool e-learning portfolio out there. What inspired you to build it? You know, from my experience as an e-learning developer, a good portfolio is actually more important to potential employers than an interview. People can talk all day long about how well they know a tool and how they might have earned a certificate or something that proves it. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the quality of your work. Knowing that, I make sure that my portfolio is effectively communicating what work I can do and at what quality level. And a good hiring manager should be drilling into specific portfolio pieces, asking questions like, what problem did this attempt to solve? Why was it built that way? What role did the candidate play in making it? People like to sneak in team efforts as their sole creations, so you need to watch out for that kind of stuff. As far as proprietary stuff goes, I know it's a challenge, but I really dislike hearing that as an excuse to not have a portfolio. There's got to be something that you've created that you can tweak or rebuild even in some way to make it safely shareable. 
I created a great course at work that won an award that was full of company-specific info. So I went through and removed all the specific company info, even if that meant taking out a few slides here and there, and replaced it with silly things like Star Wars references. Then I could put that full demo online for people to see in my portfolio. Can that be a pain to do? Yeah, of course, uh, especially if it means rebuilding something from scratch. But if you really want a different job or your first job, you have to put in the effort. Absolutely. And I know for you, Joe, specifically, you've spent a big portion of your career as an e-learning developer. For my portfolio, I have all kinds of things. I have a video of me facilitating a workshop. I have storyboards. So I focus more on different artifacts. So it doesn't always have to be just pure e-learning. It can be all kinds of different things, whether it's a job aid that you made, an infographic, some kind of a facilitation guide. There, there's just all kinds of different things that you do on a day-to-day basis in learning and development that you could put in your portfolio to just show that you have that experience. So I challenge you to think about it in that regard. And I want to talk a little bit more about the entries that I've gotten so far on this six-week instructional design challenge. And I have absolutely been blown away by the quality and just variety of what has been submitted. I was overwhelmed by the response of folks that signed up to be on the email list. And I wish that I could actually get more of those folks on the list to participate, but I guess that's a whole nother animal. If you are lurking on my list, I still like that you're on there. So thank you for at least being part of it. I want to start off with, I started this on April the 30th and I said, we're going to start on a Monday. And before it even started, I already had two people that had built something. And that just absolutely blew me away because I certainly didn't expect such a running start. So shout out to Deborah Burton Brown and Zoltola if you're listening. I think that their enthusiasm really helped to start the challenge off on this running start and got other people involved in it. So a couple of things that I just want to point out in the challenge is if you actually go to the document and we do a Google document and we'll put that here in the show notes so you're welcome to look at it as well. Just just the variety, again, of what people have done is just astounding to me. One of uh, the first examples was Zoltz Olas, and he actually made an escape room with a pretty strong message in it. And it was just something that was really cutesy, but it also had a very strong message about the type of learning that we should be building in the profession. So Joe... When you are looking at challenges and you're looking at maybe the articulate e-learning hero challenges and that, um, what are some things that you look for just going through what people have done and shared that that you get a lot of value out of? So first I'll say it's uh, very commendable that everyone has submitted the entries that they have. I took a look at it about a week ago. And uh, it was great to see the different variety of stuff that people are submitting and the amount of stuff that people are submitting. So good for them. Uh, As far as what I look for when I'm looking through examples on like an e-learning heroes challenge, mainly I have a bias towards visual design. So I uh, 
put a big emphasis on what does it look like? What's the first impression that I get when I see something? The next thing from there is probably user interface and the overall user experience when it comes to storyline that's really heavy on the interaction piece. So um, if somebody is building something where there's a navigational element to it that uh, you need to click around to you know, advance or discover things or whatnot, I'm looking for how obvious that is to do on its own. And if it's not obvious how well the um, on-screen directions are for things, I see a lot of examples where technically they've accomplished something that's neat, but it's not apparently clear what the user is supposed to do. So that's that's the second thing I look for. The third, that's when I look at the actual content. I'm looking at, okay, did this fulfill the challenge and how did it go about doing that? I'd say about a third of the submissions I see fit those three uh, categories well and then the others kind of suffer here and there but I I don't want to be too critical because I know a lot of folks are participating in those challenges to uh, improve their skills and get better at things. I I completely agree with you and I really like your criteria and your steps of how you go through and look at different submissions. One thing that I have found by doing this and kind of being the facilitator of this is I have to do it too, because if I'm not part of this challenge and I'm asking others to be, then shame on me. So I'd like to kind of talk through a couple of my submissions that I've done so far and how it's really kind of impacted me and made me reflect on my own process. My first submission is I actually coded a robot out of HTML and I ended up going to some kind of a website I don't remember if it was the Khan Academy or it was some other website where it would basically teach you HTML and you could follow along, but then it would stop and tell you what to do with the different parameters. And then if you needed help, it would help you. But basically I ended up coding that little guy and he, he's just so cute. I need to give him a name. The cool thing about it is for work, I was working on an e-learning module about test security And my little robot that I made for my ID six-week challenge, he makes a little cameo in there. So it it just made it a little bit cuter for a little bit of a humor purpose. My second challenge entry is I have a friend from graduate school here at Ohio State that encouraged me to go to a Unity class with her. And it was at a place here in Columbus called the Idea Foundry where people can learn different things. They have leather working, they have welding, they have all kinds of different classes that that you can take. And she said, hey, why about we take this Unity class? And I thought, okay, sure. So we were actually the only two people in this class. And the gentleman that taught the Unity class was fantastic. And he had a lot of different artifacts for us. But then again, kind of the same principle. He showed us the basic tools how to do things. And then he kind of turned us loose to build different things. And I was absolutely blown away by the ease and just the how intuitive that the system was. I was really shocked how easy it was to assign a perspective to an object and how physics really comes into play when building something in Unity. 
I was able to do a screen share of a couple of the different artifacts that we did in the class. So one was a solar system interaction. Again, the actual pictures themselves, those were provided, but just adding the properties to make it work were things that, that I had done. So I really enjoyed that. One thing that I want to talk about real quick about just challenges in general, and I hear this a lot because, again, I'm also a graduate student, and I know a lot of students that are interested in instructional design. They say, Kara, I can't afford Captivate, and I can't afford Articulate. What do I do? And I always, always, always encourage them to reach out and try to get a trial or subscription of the software if they can. And I do think that that's something that a lot of graduate programs don't take seriously for their students. I went through a program where they like to emphasize adult learning theory and instructional design modules, but unfortunately, sometimes they can get away with not even building anything to earn their degree. So, Joe, what do you think about that? Do you think that students that graduate from a graduate program with an emphasis in instructional design, do they need to know how to build e-learning? What do you think? Oh, I have so many thoughts there. That's that's my soapbox right there. My first reaction is to sympathize with them because I, uh, being a freelancer who's had to purchase their own license of of some of those tools, it's yeah, it's not easy to um, make that kind of a financial commitment. Um, so obviously, the first thing is to recommend downloading the trial versions of those programs, but then of course those expire after a while. So here's what I'd say when it comes. So knowing from my perspective that these tools are WYSIWYG tools, meaning it's acronym for what you see is what you get. So you're manipulating things on the screen and then you hit publish. The tool goes and produces code for everything that you've just done on the screen. So it does all the, the heavy lifting for you. But at the end of the day, you've outputted the same thing that technically you could have done by uh, writing out the code yourself or using uh, some kind of intermediary tool that could help you with the code. Knowing that, I think the analogy of a calculator comes into play. So when I hear people say, I can't do e-learning because I don't have the authoring tool, it's as if they're saying, I can't solve this math problem because I don't have a calculator. You need to know, or you don't necessarily need to know, but I think it really helps to know the basic arithmetic so to speak, of the e-learning world to produce e-learning content the same way that it helps to know arithmetic to actually use a calculator. And just to perhaps give a sneak peek of my talk that I'm going to give at Learning Dev Camp next month, while I sympathize with the need for authoring tools and the state of things that we produce our, most of our e-learning with these authoring tools, like I said, at the end of the day, they're producing code and a basic understanding of the code goes a long way and a full-blown ability to use the code and write your own code, use code libraries like jQuery and Bootstrap and things like that goes so far. So in particular, I really want to pick on Articulate Rise on the one hand, it's a really great tool. It's it's very, um, what it produces looks beautiful. It's responsive in the sense that uh, you can view it on many devices and it'll conform to the screen perfectly. 
But on the other hand, it's very limited in how you can customize it. And when I see things produced in Rise, what I see is something that can, for not much effort, be replicated uh, with a framework like Bootstrap, which is simply an HTML and CSS and I think a little bit of JavaScript framework. So it really bugs me to see people say, I really like Articulate Rise, and they're locking their content away in a proprietary tool that requires a yearly subscription. So there's going to be perpetual licenses needed to maintain all that content going forward, when in reality they could hire a contractor or someone to help them develop some type of um, similar page site framework for them, and then they can fill in the content. And then if they know how to tweak code, they can maintain it perpetually going forward for $0. So that, in a nutshell, is my soapbox on the state of e-learning today. A couple of things. I absolutely love the calculator analogy. I think that's a really good way of explaining why it is so important to know how to build these things because again I feel like you go in for an interview for your first instructional design job they're not going to ask you if you can do a lit review or they're not going to ask you to critique different instructional design models well they may but I do think that they want to see what you've actually accomplished in instructional design and real quick, your your gripes about Articulate Rise, I will second that to the extent that I actually built a course in Articulate Rise this past week for work, and it was just something very simple. It's like maybe three minutes long. It's something very, very simple, and it was really confusing to know how to publish it. So when you get to the publishing part of Articulate Rise, you can either download it for a learning management system or you can host it. But the nice thing they don't tell you, and we didn't realize this at the center that we work at, is it is extra money to host it through Articulate. It is not included in your subscription price. So there's a little pro tip for you if you get to that point with Articulate Rise. So I ended up finding a workaround for it, but I did end up tweeting Articulate, asking them the question, and a couple people had shared that response with me. So I appreciate all the help, PLN. Uh, I always love asking questions to you on Twitter, so thank you. As I wrap up just talking about this instructional design six-week challenge, there's just a couple things that I want to highlight. One, going back to these tools that we've talked about, my colleague at OSU, Sean Hickey, actually built an interaction in Apple Keynote, and it was very well done. You can go and check it out, and he called it Where in the Hell is Herman San Francisco. And obviously it gives a nod to one of my favorite educational games of all time. But he built that in Keynote. And by using different hyperlinks, it's almost like you're playing a game in Storyline or Captivate. So don't let the tool limit your creativity. A lot of times these tools that you have available to you for free, if you are creative and you think about it through a different perspective, a lot of times you can do different things with it. So that's why I love Sean's example of that game, because it does show that you can do a lot of stuff with free tools. So don't limit yourself to just thinking about the the big e-learning authoring tools. 
Another thing I'd like to highlight is I've actually received entries via email from people that are scared to share it. And I understand that they're a little bit scared, but also I've made it very clear that I don't want anyone to be negative. I don't want anyone to put others down because we're all in this together. Uh, Learning is different for everybody that's involved in this profession. And it might be a small victory for you building your first video. And I want to be there and I want to applaud you for that. And I want to encourage you to continue to grow. I have been giving feedback to those people that have been sending it to me privately, but I really, really encourage you put it on the document for others to see. And you might be surprised by the feedback that you get. So if you want to be part of this, you still can be. I'm not going to go after you if you don't participate for the full six weeks. You can find out more about it by following the hashtag ID6WC on Twitter. Or again, we'll have links to the show notes for you to learn a little bit more about it. Joe, do you have any final thoughts about instructional design challenges and wearing your builder's hat? Uh, Not really. I would just second your call to have people participate and not be concerned about critique. I think our industry is pretty good at providing constructive feedback versus um, just, you know, being negative for the sake of being negative. So uh, people understand that there's a learning curve of these things and um, just put your work out there. That's part of working out loud is putting things into the world, whether they're perfect or not. And, you know, just taking the feedback that comes in. Again, kudos for, for doing this and It's great to see the good response that you've gotten so far. Couldn't have said it better myself. If you are going to Learning Dev Camp in Salt Lake City, Utah, please say hello to us. We'd love to meet you. And that is it for this episode of the Instructional Redesign Podcast. I'm Kara North. And I'm Joe Suarez. Thanks for listening.